Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Cersei campus, text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus, and you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us on a drizzly morning. Uh, It's so good to see you. Um, If you are new with us, I have been in a series the past couple of weeks. We just started uh, this, and um, I'm going to continue it for this Sunday and next. And I've simply uh, named this series, What's Missing? And so the context is basically this. We've been looking in Acts chapter 2, and you can go there right now uh, with your Bible or you version. And what we've been looking at is what was going on in the early church, specifically at its inception. And then after 2,000 years of gathering together, uh, what do we look like now? And so is there uh, some things that we need to go back and revisit and reclaim and uh, put our hands on? And so if you weren't here for the first couple of weeks, let me just bring you up, up to speed uh, in the next 60 seconds. Uh, week one, we talked about church effectiveness. We talked about how it's very important that, that the local church be effective, that we are impacting the world, impacting the community, and uh, equally important, we are impacting each other in-house, that we are looking after each other, taking care of each other, and then from the overflow of that concern, impacting the community and then the world around us. We talked last week about a life of generosity. This was not related necessarily to us giving or resourcing the local church, but it was having a life of generosity to the world around us. So day-to-day life, whatever it is that we do, wherever we are, whatever uh, path that we are on, that we make it a generous path, that we look at those we work with and come alongside and we live a life of generosity. And we talked about what that looks like. What things can we give up and reassess and reorganize so that we can be generous people. And then today, I'm going to talk about a very important word. A word that um, I think is probably uh, just as timely to the world as it is to our church. And that's the topic of unity. And I want you to just give me the opportunity to take a few minutes and let's dive into this word as we look at what's missing in, in churches around the world, the, the church capital C, as it relates to un, unity. So I want to ask you a question uh, up front, and that is, have you ever seen the movie Rudy? Okay, if you have, raise your hand if you've seen the movie Rudy. Amen. There are the, the Christians right there. The plot of Rudy is simple, and so uh, spoiler alert, but it's about a remarkable young man. He's got a huge heart, but he has a below average ability for football. But his one goal in life is to play at Notre Dame. So after a few years spent at Holy Cross and a few miracles, he makes the practice squad. 
for Notre Dame. And Rudy immediately understands that he is overshadowed. He understands that he is looking at uh, athletic ability around him that supersedes his own. And as he does this, um, he also equally understands that there's something special about him. Rudy has the cleats. Rudy has the pants. Rudy has socks. Rudy has the pads. He's got the helmet. And most importantly, he's got a jersey. I mean, Rudy is part of this team. And so he works hard. And he gets hit a lot. And he never makes it to game day until the last play of the last game. And you're cheering for him. You're crying for him. You're, somehow you relate to it. You see your life in some way in Rudy's journey. Maybe it was the persistence. Maybe it was the desire to belong to something. Either way, you see yourself in there. And this is how we sometimes see ourselves as the church. We love our church. We love the church, capital C. We believe in other churches. We say it often, but we're not the best church in this town. We'd love to get get better, but we're not the best. But we want to be a part of it. I know I always have, even as a kid. My parents instilled in me to be a part of the local church, and I found there there was just this camaraderie there that I was drawn to. When we look at our church, we, we have a helmet. We have a jersey. We're part of this team. We've made a decision to follow Jesus, and so by whatever means, we've all gathered in this one room today, and you chose this place and these people to live your life with. And this is your church. You're on this team. But occasionally, people in church take a hit. They can be working hard. They can have a big heart. They can want to do all the right things, but they take a hit. And sometimes they get their their feelings hurt. Sometimes they feel sidelined. Sometimes they feel overlooked. Sometimes they feel forgotten. They feel disconnected. They still have a jersey, but they don't feel like they're as much of a a part. And just like there's no perfect family, there's no perfect church. And when we think about this perfection, a lot of times this is what happens in our mind. We think because we are representing Jesus who is perfect, then his church is perfect. And that's not true. If it were perfect, it was no longer perfect when you came in today. Because you aren't perfect, and I'm not perfect. But through our imperfections, Jesus, through the Spirit, did something amazing. And when we look at the, at the early days of the, uh, the uh, church, and we try to compare that to where we are now, we share this imperfection. We see that these people were not perfect, but yet they all worshipped a perfect Savior. I remember going to a New Testament survey, and it was the first class I had to take. It was 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. Dr. Bracey Hill was the professor. 
And Dr. Hill had this kind of northeastern accent. And we all got settled in, and we didn't have computers and iPads. But I had a thick notebook and a bunch of highlighters and pens. I was just ready, you know, put it on me. I'm ready to learn what New Testament survey is all about. And when I think about the church not being perfect, I think about his opening quote to us. And he had this strong accent. He said, future pastors and missionaries, church is like Noah's Ark. It stinks, but it's still floating. And it must have impacted me because I'm sharing it with you now. That when we think about perfection, it's not fair. And so I want you to think about New Testament stories, book of Acts, people getting their ears cut off as they come to arrest Jesus, and believers hurting each other, separating, parting ways. There were all kinds of, of conflict almost on every single page of Scripture. And so I want us to read again in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47, and I want us to dive in for the next few moments on this very important topic of unity. The Bible says this, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day, in verse 42. They devoted themselves to four things, teaching, to fellowship, which we've determined is, is friendship, to the breaking of bread, which was just meals, it wasn't formal communion, and, and to prayer, okay? So, teaching, prayer, food, and friendship. In verse 44, and this is where I'll focus today, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, as a result, added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's talk about unity for a second. This topic of unity is very complicated right now. And I would say as a communicator, it's very difficult to bring everybody to the same page as it relates to this word. It would be challenging in and of itself just to do it with a church, but when you start adding layers of our culture, it becomes even more difficult to try and get us to a common point. It's just tough right now. There's a lot of emotion. No matter where you turn, it seems like someone is emotionally charged. They're just raw. There's a lot of opinion. There's a lot of bitterness, and sometimes the bitterness has manifested as rage, and on and on and on. And nothing really feels unified. As a matter of fact, if you took 30, 45 seconds right now and you thought, when's the last time I really felt unity with a specific group, it may have been a while. Because of our lack to gather here this may have been your only, only semblance of, of unity. So the spirit of unity is very, very difficult. And this might be a time where you have thought to yourself, maybe even shared with your inner circle, I am sick of people. 
And before you guilt yourself with that statement, let me tell you that this was very common. Moses himself went to God and said, I am sick of these people that you gave me. I'm about to kill them. I'm serious. And God was like, now Moses, calm down. And two weeks later, God, God was like, I'm going to kill them. I'm serious. And Moses was like, God, calm down. There's something about us, our, our behavior, our thoughts, uh, how we interact with others that can get unnerving to entire groups. Uh, social media right now is a booby trap. Like, don't go there. Don't put your, your hand in it. It's, it's dangerous uh, right now, various, various groups just angry. But Scripture has conflict on almost every page. It's, it's a very common thing to think, man, I'm just sick of what's going on there. And in Proverbs chapter 14, we get this incredible verse, an old verse, but it's so powerful. And this is what it says. Where no oxen are, the stall is clean. But increase comes by the strength of the ox. Now what that means for us is this. If we relate the ox to people, then we say this. Where there are no people, everything is perfect. The, my house has the most peace when it's just me there. Our church is the best when nobody's here. The stall is clean. If we had no people, we would have perfect furniture and carpeting, and our bathrooms would be clean all the, the, the time. It'd be, it'd be perfect. Our, our children's rooms wouldn't smell like diapers. It'd be amazing. It would be clean. But there's strength by the ox. And so what this proverb is saying is this. You have to balance the beauty of people with the part of them that frustrates you. you got to be, be able to say, you know, sure, the stall is clean when nobody's around. But there's a giftedness in all of us that joins together to forge the local church and somehow, in some miracle, it becomes this beautiful entity. It becomes a bride of Christ. And so there is strength in it. There's strength amidst our, our, our messes and the fact that we sometimes say the wrong things and think the wrong things and do the wrong things. There's still this strength that comes from us. If we look at the early church, when you look at Acts, you see a bunch of, 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 of themes, and they make this great gumbo in this early church. They, these guys were different people. Okay, let me explain that. What, what we would call our modern-day Turkey, Iran, and Iraq were among these 3,000 saved. They were from different countries and backgrounds and ethnicity, and they were coming together to say, well, I choose Jesus too. 
And suddenly these very different people became a body. It was very, very different. But these different people were alive in a dangerous and divisive time. But they were unexpectedly introduced to a very determined Savior. Someone who wanted to see the church come together in like-mindedness and in unity. And it wasn't until the book of Acts, really, that you see the power of unity in a spiritual sense. Let me explain that. Up, Up to the time of Jesus, religiosity was an ancestral thing. Meaning this, that you you participated in the worship of the gods that were always worshipped in your region or area. So if your parents worshipped the sun god, that's who you worshipped. You just inherited your religiosity. Jesus brought in a choice. This is why he said, I'm going to split homes. Because some of you are going to choose me and some of you are going to stay with the ancestral belief system that you were brought up in. And suddenly all these different people, different groups, different colors were blending together to forge this New Testament church and they were unified. One day, a group of 120 people were praying in a house and the Holy Spirit appears as fire on on their heads. They all started speaking in a language that they did not know as the Spirit gave them words. Now that's Acts 2-4. And they were in one mind and in one Honda Accord. And it was such a dichotomy. Hear, Hear this. It was such a challenge, the community thought they were drunk. Don't don't let that pass you up. If I got on Facebook this afternoon, I'm not tempting anybody to do this. If I got on Facebook this afternoon and I saw a post that said, visited NLC this morning, those guys were drunk. I'd be finding somebody. It would be such, it would be so appalling to me. Like, what what in the world has happened? And that's how these guys were perceived, as being drunk. Their experience was so bizarre, but yet they were in such unity that the power of God sat on them like we may have not seen since. Verse 44, all the believers were together. And had everything in common. Now, this word together does not necessarily mean right here in the same building together. It'd be impossible. The crowd was too, too large. This wasn't thousands and thousands of people. What, 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 what this meant was they were coming together. They were unifying. They were having like-mindedness. They were full of the Spirit. They were operating as one hand, one fist. This word together actually comes from a Greek word which means partnership. So it doesn't mean to come to a building. It means to come alongside somebody. This is what's always made the church powerful and a representation of Jesus was not large crowds. It was people coming alongside somebody and saying, I want to do what you're doing for Christ. Let's do it together. So even now as we are socially distanced and for many unable to even come to the same location, it should not affect our togetherness just because we cannot come in the same building. These believers in Acts, they wanted to share in the pursuit of God 
as the people of God, for the presence of God, and this unified them. It, they did not care about color. They did not care about background. They did not care about status. They only cared about one thing, and that was serving God together. And we're missing it. Because no pastor, no church, no talented group of leaders, no matter how great and strong and resourced the church is, cannot schedule unity. It has to be fought for. It has to be chosen. The body together has to agree we are going to be in unity. And this is such a big challenge. So I'm going to talk about four ways this morning that we, we can fight for unity. The first one is this. We're going to have to distance ourselves from distractions. Being a world that is extremely connected has its pros and cons. Because we hear all the encouraging things and we hear all the discouraging things. And you've got to decide right now what you're going to pay attention to. What you're going to give your life's energy for. And there's going to be an unlimited amount of things to distract you. And you're going to be able to choose those things and pour your life's energy into things that can distract you and derail you from the plan of God on your life. In sixth grade, there was a bully at our school, and his name was Vinny. I'm sure he was part of the Gambino crime family. And Vinny was just a terror for everybody. He would walk up out of nowhere and just shove you over, just picking fights and had a terrible mouth. Vinny came to me one day and he said, hey, I'm going to cheat on you in fifth period. So you take the desk next to me. And I'm going to look at your test, and I'm going to write down the answer. So you got four periods to study. I said, Vinny, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you are going to do it. I said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to cheat off me today. And he said, if you don't let, let me cheat off of you, I'm going to, whatever it was, beat you up, spar. I don't know what, what the word was. We're, we're, we're going to fight. I said, I'm not letting you cheat off me. And man, that wore at me for second period and third period and fourth period, all through lunch, and I got to fifth period, and I decided I was going to walk right into class, walk right up to my, to my teacher, and I, with a loud voice, apparently I'd been thinking about it, and I said, I want you to know, I was talking to my te- teacher, I said, Vinny is saying that he's going to cheat off me, and I don't want it to happen. And he said, no, it's not going to happen. Matter of fact, just sit up here and take your test. Don't worry about it. And, and, and he said, Vinny, I'll talk to you right after class. And I saw Vinny look at me, and he said, I'm going to get you. Recess was the last period of our, our day, and we went outside to play some Red Rover because that's how champions do it. And I walked up to four or five guys, and I said, don't put Vinny on our team. I got a plan. You let him be a cry. I don't, I don't want to be near him. 
I don't want to be around him, but I got a plan. We're going to end this right now. And I turned to those guys on my left and right, and I said, listen, whatever happens next, you just hold on to my hands. Don't worry about what my body does. Don't worry about the noises you hear bones making. Hold on to me and do not let go. And so I cried out, Red Rover, Red Rover, Vinny from the Gambino family, come right over. And he came and he ran. He tried to run through me and those guys held on tight. Sure as the world, I felt like a rubber band stretching back, popping back into place. But at the end of it, after it was all over, Vinny was on the ground and I was standing there victorious over the entire crime family. The point of that silly story is this. You're going to have some Vinnies in your life, and they're going to look all kinds of, of ways, take all kinds of shape and form, and they're going to enter into all kinds of circumstances, and we've got to be able to identify them and say, it's not going to happen in my life. I'm not going to be distracted by you. I'm not scared of you. You're not going to derail me, and if we will just get around people who will hold on to us, no matter what life throws at us, I promise you, when the dust settles, when the wave has gone back out, we will still be standing there together. And this was the message of Jesus to unify that the gates of hell could not even prevail against his church. He was saying, you're going to be hated because of me, but don't be distracted. You keep the focus. You stay together. You stay in this thing. And so I think it's important that we understand that in a world right now who can severely distract us, we got to know where do I want to where, where do I want to put my time. Second thing, don't stay offended. Man, right now it's so easy to be offended. Being offended is inevitable. Living offended is a choice. Somebody's going to hurt us. Somebody's going to hurt us in church. Somebody's going to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing. Somebody's going to miscommunicate. We're, we're going to be in this life and be offended. But if we stay offended, if we let that stuff take up a root system in our lives, if we grow up from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 and we're still offended, that's a choice that you're making. And if you're in that spot today, I'm going to encourage you to let it go. Put that stuff under the work of the Holy Spirit. Let healing come to your life and your mind and your psychology and let it go. Let healing come to you. Dr. Carolyn Leaf says, every relationship we love is going to frustrate us. Okay? Let me, let me, let me, let me prove that. How many of you are here today and you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you are here today and you would say, I love my spouse? I would hope every hand still goes up. Yeah, okay. But how many of you have ever been frustrated at your spouse? Even though you love them. We do that to each other. My wife and I have a saying that we say sometimes when we're upset. And we say, I love you, but I do not like you right now. Okay? 
Sometimes we have, we, we fight. I know you think we're holy. I am, but <laughs> our life is too short, our calling too great, the church too grand for us to stay offended. But we can go through life fully offended, and because someone hurt us, we hurt other people. Because we're offended, we turn into a defensive stance to where we're no longer open to anyone in our lives, and all of that is a choice. And do you know that sometimes you can suffer long-term offense over something that's not even true? But a lie, hear me, believed as truth will have the same effect on you as if it were true. If you believe it, if you give it power, it will have the same effect on you spiritually and mentally as if it were true. So we have to say, say this, our thoughts... Hear me today. They are not facts. Your thoughts will lie to you. Sometimes they tell you that you're greater than you really are. Sometimes they tell you that you're a terrible person and you're not. Don't base and live your life. Don't let your thought life lead the way. Let me give you some examples about thoughts not, not being facts. Just because someone makes a mistake doesn't mean they're a bad person. We do that often. Oh, yeah, they're, they're a bad person. Just because someone values sleep doesn't make them lazy. Just because someone is struggling does not mean they are failing. Just because someone is single doesn't mean they are lonely. Just because you don't talk to your friends as much doesn't mean you don't care about them. And just because you saw it on YouTube doesn't make it true. Guard your thoughts. That's why it's important that we have uh, to let, let this mind be in us that was in Jesus. To say, I am going to think about Whatsoever things are pure and holy and just and true, I'm going to think on those things. Third, we have to be mature with our differences. We are different, every single one of us. We all know it. But I want to read you this great teaching to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. This is what it says. Now all of us, everybody say all of us. All of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. Everybody say same. Same Holy Spirit. All of us. Because of what Christ has done for us. Not because of what you did. Not because of what somebody else did. Not because of what you and somebody else did together. Because of what Jesus did. That's why we get to be here this morning, because of what Jesus did for me and for you and you and you and you. This is why we all get to come together with the same spirit at work in our lives. And he says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers. You were, but you're not anymore. Why? Because of the work of the spirit, the same spirit. 
and because of the work of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, you are members of God's family. Unity is a group of people who agree to grow together. But unity does not equate to similarity. So don't fight and dispute over trying to argue out the the things that are not similar. I tell you this often. I should probably tell you more than I, I, I do. One of my favorite things about pastoring our church is you're so diverse. And some of us in this room, we're not all on the same page theologically. We don't, we don't have a tenet of faith that says, here's 10 things or 15 things or 20 things, and you've got to believe all this to be a, a member here. So some of you are going to have a big emphasis on baptism. Some of you are going to raise your hands during worship. Some of you are going to close your eyes during prayer and get really still and quiet. Others of you are just going to open your eyes during prayer and look around at who else has their eyes open. Some of you wish the music was more quiet and reverent. Some of you were like, crank it up. I mean. You're just diverse. But here's where I stand on that, and I tell you this often. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He lived a a life without sin, and He died for the remission of our sin, and was raised again from the the dead, and that same Spirit that raised Him can live in us, we're we're all on the same team. We can can debate and argue and have a good time in life groups about the other stuff. But we can still be unified even though we're not all similar. Let me move on. The fourth thing is this. Unity requires work. (laughs) Unity isn't easy. It's not natural. It's like our natural inclination is dissension, arguing, taking a position. Unity goes against the grain of the flesh, it requires work, it's hard. And you look at Scripture, anytime people did something together, they did something great, even if the outcome was not great. Meaning this, there was a group of people who unified and built a tower and God destroyed it. There's another group that got together and prayed and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were filled and went out and changed the world. Both groups were unified. But it takes work. Listen, the Bible says that God feeds the birds, but it doesn't say he throws a worm in the nest. You got, you got to work it. We got to put our hand to the plow. We got to be disciplined with what we want most over what we want now. We got to love the big picture. And it requires togetherness. You say, you know, 
Kevin, how, how in the world can we talk about togetherness in a world that's challenging us right now to isolate? Well, again, it doesn't mean in the building. It's a unifying of our spirit, of the work of God in our lives to be the local church, to be a body together. And the temptation right now in all of us, maybe even some of you sitting here, is that we can always impress people from a a distance, but you can only impact people from up close. I I can go on social media this afternoon, take all the right pictures, say all the right things, put it on there, and I can say I guarantee in an hour there's going to be 100 people like that. You, 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 You can impress people from a distance, but getting in their life working out the frustration, working out the offense, staying family, staying together through the good, the bad, the ugly. That's what the church does. We forgive each other. We practice what we preach. We stay together. We unify. We hold on to each other against all the vinnies of the world. That's the beauty. Let me end with this verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. I love this verse. I keep it close to my heart. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Say, listen, my job right now, your job, is to encourage somebody around you through the spirit of unity. How can we continue to love? How can we continue to do good things? In a world that has a lot of things wrong, there's a lot of things to fix and work out and a lot of things to soothe. There's a lot of hurting people. There's a lot of isolating people. But we need to encourage each other toward love and good deeds.